I do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to Real Versus Feel, Netball Numbers That Matter, a podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Dallahunty and Dr. Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. In this show, we align what it feels like happened in round four of Super Netball over the weekend to what the stats, the real, tell us. Of course, we wouldn't be here without our major sponsor, All In One Property. If you've ever purchased property, you know it involves tons of paperwork and stress. You've got to sort out conveyancing, finance and insurance, and that's if it's a simple deal. All In One Property can help handle every step or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge I'm on the land of the Yorta Yorta people in Echuca and Aaron is on Wadawurrung land in Geelong. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Well, Aaron, the Easter Bunny has been and gone and we saw some big margins this round as the latter sort of settled somewhat with some big wins. Yeah, I think the top and bottom ends of the ladder appear to be settling pretty well with the jostling kind of happening in the middle. Uh, And I have to say, I'm feeling a little shaky on that lightning bandwagon I jumped on (laughs) earlier in the year. I think you got to stay on board now. You're committed early. Yeah. Now, let's quickly run the ruler over the games from the round and and pull out some key stats. Why don't you start with your lightning? That's what we're going to call them from now on uh, with their game against the Vixens. All right, we'll go with that. Uh, I guess it wasn't too bad with the 60 to 56 scoreline in the end, but this Mm. was another one of those games of two halves or even like a first quarter and then the rest of the game. If you look at the penalties, the Vixens had more of them in the first half, but then the Lightning had a plus 20 in the penalties in the second half, going 41 to 21. And the goals from gains also flipped from the first with the Lightning getting six to two in the first half and the Vixens getting six to one in the second half. But this really kind of shifted after the first quarter, that gain to goal percentage mm-hmm. that we talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vixens had 0% to the Lightning 67% in the first quarter. The Lightning was still on top at 100% to 50% in the second quarter, but then it really flipped in the mm. third and fourth quarter with the Vixens maintaining a 75% gain to goal rate in the third and fourth quarter to zero and 50% respectively for the Lightning in that third and fourth quarter. And this was a real double-edged sword and probably decided the game yeah. where the Vixens' gains increased from quarter one and they also increased that conversion percentage and the Lightning's gains decreased from quarter one and quarter two to the second half and they also decreased that conversion percentage. So that's probably where the disparity in the game come from. Mm. And st- statistically speaking, this game is more about the Vixens maintaining their performance across the match and the lightning really dropping, dropping off, off. Okay. from that first and second quarter. And just to tick this one off, Vixens, greater than 10 gains, won again. There we go. <laughs> now, next game for the round, Erin, one you were in person at, first game for the year perhaps, the Magpies versus the Fibers. Yeah, look, it was. I found myself um, unplanned but in Melbourne, so I decided to go down and have a look. I have to say it wasn't a great advertisement for the league, I don't think. There was a lot of errors, penalties, and there were some pretty sort of ugly bumps. We saw a few people sent off um, sort of to begin with. But as has been talked about, it was all about the third quarter, this one. The Pies came out of halftime and put on 23 goals to the Firebirds' eight. Uh, the coach, Nicole 
Richardson said after the game that she all but told her starting seven that she was going to make changes if she didn't see the brand that she wanted to see from them. So they really delivered um, on that and that really set up the win for them. You know, 69 to 61, it ended up being. Jodie Ann Ward, I guess, was probably the standout. She had five intercepts and really just had a go at, at anything. Being able to watch her footwork live was um, really impressive. The work that she puts in before the ball gets there. I mean, as I mentioned, that third quarter statistically, 23 goals to eight, you know, certainly stood out. Um, and then also, as you touched on before for the last game, the centre pass to goal conversion in the third quarter was 93% to 44%. Very hard to win a game of netball when you're converting less than half of your centres. Now you're going to have a look at the Thunderbirds Giants, Aaron. Yeah, and probably, I mean, you might have said game of the round here. Those two contending teams, perhaps for the the final spots when we come to the pointy end of the season. So the Giants actually won this one 59 to 54. And there are a couple of uh, round highs for particular statistics. Yep. Uh, Shamira Sterling grabs another nine gains, equaling Courtney Bruce's best for across the round. Mm-hmm. And 47 feeds from Maddie Hay was the best across the round. And have to check, but it's probably one of the higher ones for the season, I think. Uh, from a Thunderbirds perspective, mm-hmm. perhaps a little bit concerning whether they were returning to the Thunderbirds of old, right? They had more gains than the Giants, 17 to 11 but only converted 59% of these to scoring, whereas the Giants converted 73%. And that characteristic is what we saw the Thunderbirds doing last year. So that's where it may be a little bit, you know, back to the days of old. Do you think a little bit of T-Birds PTSD maybe? (laughs) Yeah, like I'd be if you think about just getting a few more of those gains converted to goals, you'd be right in there winning the game. And that just simply characterised their season last year. So a little bit worrying. Uh, Now, last game for the round, the Swifts versus the Fever, Erin. Yeah, look, the Swifts look like they might actually win this game, didn't they, to begin with? They they led by as many as five goals. But Dan Ryan's team was just too strong. They won the second half, 43 to 32. And then, really, they ran away with it. 78 to 67 is an impressive win for the Fever in a game that they were really challenged. Again, it was the connection between Alice Teague-Neal in wing attack and Janelle Fowler at shooter. That was the key for them. We also saw Sasha Glasgow put down seven super shots. This is becoming a bit of a pattern for her, obviously. And Fowler did have the audacity to miss two goals this week. One of them was a super shot attempt, I would like to to point out, but I'm wondering if that means does she miss three next week, given she missed one the week before. Maybe that's how it unfolds. But she still looked pretty frustrated when she did miss those two as well and still up there on, I think she's sitting on about 96%, which is still pretty uh, uh, respectable. Yeah, I I don't think she's going to miss three next okay. week. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> okay. uh, but one thing we did speak about in the Vixens Lightning game was that gain to goal percentage, mm-hmm. and we spoke about how in the preseason the Fever really improved in that area, right? And they had again a high number of gains in this match, sixteen, yeah. and converted seventy five percent of those, which yeah. is quite high for this statistic. So. It's still like we know the fever are good, and this is what we talked about in preseason that we're getting better in this defensive to attacking area of their game. Yeah. And it just, you know, the fever just keep on rolling. 
They do. Now, as as you just touched on then, our first deep dive today is actually going to be into the red hot fever. They do feel like an unstoppable force at the moment. So we thought it might be time to really dig into and have a proper look at their current winning streak and sort of where it sits in history. So Aaron, who has a better streak than what they're on at the moment? And I wonder if it was this, I mean, the Swifts in the ANZ champs in, in 2010, they had a really huge run of unbeaten games, but I guess it'd be great to look back at Commonwealth game, uh, Commonwealth bank days as well. Um, Cause the then Sydney Swifts, they were so dominant for such a long time too. Yeah, I'm not quite ready to dig through the old oh, okay. CBT records. <laughs> you know, you've spoken on this show about um, record keeping in netball before, so <laughs> I'm not really diving Fair into cool. that. Uh, but if we look at um, you know ANZ champs onto um, Super Netball uh, and the Fever, they're currently on an eight-game winning streak yeah. since round 13 last year, yeah. and that's now their longest streak ever. Their, their longest before that was seven, so they're sitting on their their best win streak in history at the moment. I'm sure Dan Ryan knows that. So the sense that we all have watching that they're making, maybe making history at the moment is correct, yeah? I mean, if we're talking winning streaks, then this Fever team looks like one of the best. And look at the matchups they've had so far this year. Like, it's not looking like they're going to lose any time soon. No. Uh, I mean, they're coming up against the Thunderbirds soon, but we'll see. Um there were some other interesting fun facts that mm-hmm. came about digging through this. Um, and I think you've written about this before maybe, but the Magpies have only ever strung three wins in a row mm. together still. Mm. I think we you wrote about this last year and they, they still haven't broken that more than three wins in a row. Um, there's been some real uncharacteristic um, breaks to winning streaks over yeah. history. The Lightning were on a nine-game winning streak before they lost that 2019 grand final. The Swifts were on a 13-game winning streak at the end of the 2010 ANZ wow. Championships and lost two straight finals to get bundled out in straight sets. Um, so some uncharacteristic ends to streaks there. Maybe we'll see that Psychology. happen with the this year. Yeah, who knows? Um, the, the Thunderbirds have the second highest win streak with 16 wins across most of 2013 in the first few weeks of 2014. But our best ever winning streak was from the Firebirds over 2015 and 2016, where they strung 21 games in a row. Yeah, which is just mind-blowing to think of. And I guess it's also amazing to think, you know, you've got Kim Rav, uh, Gabby Simpson and and Greta Boerta, who's obviously not playing at the moment, but they were all part of those super successful birdie years, obviously led by, you know, the iconic Laura Geitz. We had the World Cup around the same time when a couple of them, you know, were in that team as well. Now, for our second subject today, we're going to take a look at one player and one side, those being Steph Wood and the Sunshine Coast Lightning, who are sitting with two wins and two losses right now. Is it as simple as no wood, no lightning? How I want to know, I guess, how do her performances, her volume, her accuracy, her turnovers, how does that influence if her side wins or loses? I mean, given they've beaten the Giants and the Firebirds, but lost to the Thunderbirds and the Vixens at this stage of the season. Well, this was one of the reasons why I jumped on that lightning bandwagon at the start mm-hmm. of the year because... <laughs> Wood had that injury last year, perhaps struggled a little bit, but then you saw that uh, form across the international matches and I figured that would get carried on to the Super Netball season. And if we'd had this conversation after round three, my answer would have probably been an emphatic yes because 
Compared to rounds one and two, in round three, we saw with Steph Wood half as many feeds and goal assists, twice as many turnovers coming from missed goals, mm-hmm. over half as many second phase receptions and and more general play turnovers than round one and two. So it was a real drop off in form mm-hmm. in round three. But I feel a but coming. Yeah, there's, there's eventually a but coming. Mm-hmm. Um, in round four, those stats more or less return to what they were in round one and two. Okay. Uh, but I will say, but again, mm-hmm. those key stats I've mentioned where Wood went down from rounds one and two to round three, they actually were okay in the first half against the Vixens, but mm-hmm. dropped off in the second half when the game started to get away from the Lightning against the Vixens. Right? And then their performance so, kind of follows her. Yeah, it's it seemed a little bit that way. Like, you know, she's obviously a real key part of the team's success, a real linking player in attack. Um, and, you know, it seems when the numbers drop off a little bit that, yeah, the lightning performance might drop off a little bit as well. Mm. And you can, I mean, you can see it's always been the case, obviously, but opposition sides are really targeting her, I think, as a bit of knowing that she's somewhat of a barometer for them. Now, for our final subject today, we wanted to talk about, ne- well, we, when I say we, I mean, me, obviously. This is being highly directed by me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I want to talk about netball's unsung heroes. And, of course, uh, not talking about goalkeepers here for a change, but talking about wing defenders. Amy Parmenta was the MVP in the Giants win over the Thunderbirds. And Kate Eddy was so key to the Vixens' second half Um I guess, dominance against the Lightning that we've just talked about. And, I mean, we have touched on this before. It's really hard to track a wing defence influence, specifically so because they're not in the circle. So there's a few metrics that they're never going to receive. But you can't measure when a wing defence covers a lead. You can't measure – well, I mean, you could if you had 20 little statisticians with their hats sitting around the court, Aaron. Um, You can't measure what building pressure does. You can't measure what – working in a unit to create a turnover that someone else picks up. Um, it's really hard to measure those things. So they, they're not captured by the stats at the moment. They're not reflected in the, the net points that we see in Super Netball. So I guess it's I guess I'm coming from a bit of a strange premise, but if if I think the numbers are already flawed, but that's what we've got to rely on, which wing defense, you know, which t- I mean talk to me a little bit about that. Where does Parmenta's game versus the Thunderbirds sit? Was she as good as I thought she was getting getting four games? Yeah, I mean, let's start with that ultimate flawed stat mm-hmm. for wing defensive net points. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll even see some flaws in my characterization of okay. wing defence here, right, okay. as okay. I go through this, because the highest um, net points I've seen this season so far for a wing defence, and yep. I've categorised that by playing the majority of their time in wind defense. Okay. It was 82.5, and that was from Jess Anstis in round three. Mm-hmm. But she did spend about 10 minutes in center okay. for this match, which okay. is where she perhaps accumulated that sort of additional net points. More access and to the ball, yeah. Yeah, the next two best net points also come from Jess Anstis of 68.5 and, and 61.5 and Um in other matches this year, but she's, again, spent 20-plus minutes in centre yeah. for these games too. So, yep. like, by my definition, yep. she's been a predominant wing defence this year. Yeah, she has, but, yeah. you know, she's flipping a bit. The match you talk about for Amy Parmenter on the weekend edged up to these net point numbers around 60.5. Mm-hmm. And 
that's really low compared to other positions, but it mm-hmm. seems to be right at the maximum of where a wing defence okay. can typically get to within a game. Mm-hmm. So um, that 60 and a half for Palm Enter on the weekend is kind of really top tier from a net points perspective yeah, for okay. wing defence. Yep. Um, you mentioned gains. Four gains is the most out of any wing defence this year. Hmm. Uh, again, Jess Anstis is featuring here and Amy Parliament having done this once. Mm-hmm. Anstis spending a bit of time in centre for that game. Mm-hmm. And Latanya Wilson has done it twice, but, you know, oh, has been in gold defence yeah. for pretty much half of these games as well. So if you grab out the wing defences statistics from champion data, there are a whole lot of zeros and nothing <laughs> across the statistical board, right? Okay. Um, it's really hard, as you mentioned, for them to accumulate statistics in the way they're collected yeah. right now. Yeah. And so this is definitely one where we defer back to you, yeah. where I think we rely more on the field because you'll notice I haven't even mentioned Kate Eddy's yes. work in this statistical conversation. Like, And you know she had a good game, right? Yeah, and look, I sat down to write about this on Sunday night and I knew that she'd had a a huge influence on the game and had helped them, but I actually sat down and re-watched. I talk about you being fun at parties, Aaron. I sat down and re-watched that full 30 minutes of her her game and actually went through – and, and, you know, did some, you know, just some visual kind of, no, you know, notations and things for myself about what she'd actually done because those things that I talked about, you know, off of the top aren't things that make it into the highlight packages. They're not in the KO minis or, you know, those sort of things where maybe an intercept might get in there. But that arms over pressure, that's another one I didn't mention. How does that force a mistake? Um, and, yeah, I, I was waiting for you to mention um, Kate's name then as you were going through. But as I said, she did make my talking points column, Aaron, and... And I did see too, I note that the Melbourne Vixens fans, they have a a fan MVP that they vote on on social media and she won that. So it's nice to see obviously that the the fans, you know, and people, you know, watching the games can actually, you know, can see that impact as well. Obviously, Simone McInnes sees that probably as well as any coach is one of the best wing defences the game's ever seen. I mean, they get their recognition from somewhere. It's not in the (laughs) Nissan Net Points team of the week. That's but right. It's, it's from elsewhere. And also that's interesting uh, what you say about gains. So Wingdings, the bar has been set. It's four gains that you want to sort of get to for a, an outstanding game and hopefully enough that you stand out to the umpires as well. Now we have a special offer from our major sponsor, All-in-One Property. Real versus Feel listeners know by now that All-in-One Property can help buy- home buyers with conveyancing, loans, property law and insurance. They can link you in with a bunch of property services so you can have one point of contact instead of many when purchasing a place. And the best bit is you can use all the services or just some. It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. And for a limited time, if you reach reach out to All-in-One Property and mention the pod, you'll receive 10% off conveyancing services. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 0399824491 to discover how you can benefit from this streamlined property transfer process. Now it's that time. It's Fox Answers the Fans. Now, Aaron, this question comes from Carolyn Gowan on Twitter. 
And I think she wants to tap into your expertise for nefarious purposes a little bit, which is fantasy netball, which there are a few of these competitions around. Carolyn wants to know which players, because she wants to stack her team, obviously, which players are the most consistent, you know, rarely have a bad game, and which players get the most minutes, because I'm presuming that's part of what goes into the process for points for this sort of thing. I have to say this is not something I've ever I've ever dabbled in because there's a bit too much of maths involved, Aaron. Yeah. So I'll defer yeah. to you on this one. It's a, probably a fair point. And I have to be careful here because, you know, I think I have a couple of teams floating around in this same fantasy netball competition. So you can't give away uh, all so your secrets? Can't give away all the secrets. <laughs> I mean, if you search for them around, you'll, you'll find them, but okay. I can't give them all away. Uh, and so I guess what we'll do here is we'll use the 2023 netball scoop fantasy netball scoring system to look into this because as you say there are a few different ones but i think that's what caroline's playing Uh, and we'll apply this scoring system over the last year and a bit i know ian who runs it changes his scoring system each year likes to tinker with it a little bit but we'll apply this year's scoring system to players when we look at consistency in this context and so how do you measure consistency this could be a very esoteric conversation if we wanted it to be yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways you could do it. I'm actually yep. going to borrow from uh, American football's fantasy competitions for this one because I okay. see this consistency rating they they push out when I okay, sort of cool. participate in these competitions. And really what it does is it looks at the standard deviation or the variance in a player's score divided by their average, right? So it's it, it takes out if they're the highest versus lowest scoring player and looks at how consistently close they are to what you'd expect based on their average. So right? do- doesn't include the MVP game, doesn't include their worst game? Includes all of them. Um, and that's where if you if there's a big difference from your MVP to right. your worst game, you're right. going to get a worse consistency right. score, okay. right? But it, it's it's relative to what your kind of expected average is. Okay. Have you got your special stats hat on, Aaron? Because this is getting pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mentioning t- terms like standard deviation, yes. I probably should. But yes. um <laughs> You know, it's been a big stats week. It's in the wash, so okay. I don't have it this week, Aaron. Okay. <laughs> now, can, from a pure consistency perspective, who would your guess be for the most consistent player? I don't want Netball? to be entirely predictable, but I'm going to say Janelle Fowler. Uh, I mean, it's a good guess for, like, any quest, statistical question I pose in, in this program because, unsurprisingly, Fowler is also leading this consistency rating when we look at the last year and a bit. Yeah, right. And she's actually a good deal out in front of the other top players in this metric. Like there's Fowler, Gap, and then the other good players. Okay. Yep. Which uh, up the top here we've got uh, players like Helen Housby, yep. uh, MJ Kamwenda, Gabby Simpson, Jamie Lee Price, and Liz Watson are sort of that top five, six. And for me here... I mentioned this consistency rating doesn't factor in necessarily um, the high and uh, highest and lowest scoring players. It kind of normalizes across. But Fowler and Watson are probably the most impressive ones here because over the last year and a bit, they've been you know, probably top five in these fantasy scoring comps. Yeah. Okay. And they're also both up the top from this consistency perspective. Yeah. I mean, that very much reflects, you know, the feel. If you had to, if you sort of ask someone to write down the three names of players that they would have in their team, Fowler and Watson would probably be the first two written down. Also interesting to note, I'm um, just going back to what we were saying about Gabby Simpson um, being one of the only defenders in there and also actually obviously being a wing defence as well. 
Um, great question. Now, just because it's Easter, we thought we might sneak in uh, another quick question here. It comes from Kat, one of our English li- listeners on Twitter, and she wants to know if a team has ever had a 100% centre pass to goal conversion, something that we're talking about more and more this season. Um, she's right when she says we often, you know, mention this, but it'd be fascinating to know, have we seen that perfect game from a team or what does a what's a good, it'd be interesting to know from a coach's perspective where they set the mark for their teams. Um, Yeah. Have we ever seen that, Aaron? It's good you mentioned that term perfect game here, because we've talked a little bit about that this year from a couple of different perspectives. And this is almost like the perfect kind of team attacking game, right? Yeah. Score off every one of your center passes. Uh, So champion data has this in their records from the 2019 season onwards. So it's not as huge a bank as we have some other stats. Uh, And the short answer to this question is no, Uh, 100% hasn't been achieved uh, from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. The highest is actually 85%, which has been achieved four times. So once each by the 2019 Lightning Squad and by the Magpies in 2022. And the Fever have actually got this 85% twice. Yep once in 2021 and once in 2022. To look down the other end, the lowest achieved in a match was 47%. And you might remember this from last year. There was a game where the Thunderbirds only scored 40 goals against the Swifts. And that that really stemmed from less than half of their centre passes going to goals uh, or being converted. Uh, And so when you talk about where teams are probably looking at for where they want to be, sitting at around eight to nine out of every 10 centre passes being converted is like going to put you up the top of this metric. Yeah, interesting. It kind of, it correlates a little bit to a shooting percentage, you know, 80% would be a low, I guess, a low sort of baseline for a shooter, 90% acceptable, anything above, I guess, would be considered elite. But who has had, who's done the best in, in this, this season? Is it Fever? No, uh, it's a surprising one and something that maybe our Firebirds fans can grasp onto as a positive from the year. So far this year at 83% in their round three match against the Swifts, that's the highest mark for a game so far this season. Unfortunately, you know, it still didn't get them across the line for the win. So I don't know how much of a positive that is for them. Well, I think more than anything, it shows that they have the ability and they ha- they have the cattle. I mean, we saw that, I think, in a couple of quarters against the Collingwood this weekend. You thought, yep, they can actually win this game before that third quarter route sort of happened. Now, as I say every week, we really enjoy, you know, the listeners getting involved in the show. So please send your questions through, really curly ones. We do have a heap of them and we are still working on doing an additional episode for you. But the more that we can get, um, the better we can sort of file them away and answer them for you. And now for my favourite segment <laughs> of the week, it's Della Bluntly. And I really, I think I'm going to enjoy this one because you've somehow integrated a real favourite of mine being Star Wars <laughs> to my favourite podcast like segment. Star Wars? I didn't right? know that um, about so you, So I'm Aaron. really looking forward to this. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Look, this one is about banter. And how much I love it in netball and I wish there was more. Um, a friend of mine was at the Swifts Fever game at Ken Rosewell Arena at the weekend and she sent me a message about something she noticed being there in person. As we see at every game, when the teams enter the arena, a piece of music is played. And for the West Coast Fever on the weekend, the Swifts chose the Imperial March 
which of course is the foreboding musical theme used to introduce Star Wars villain Darth Vader. I actually didn't believe her to begin with, so I scrolled back through the broadcast footage because I'm, I'm a, you know, fun at parties, Aaron. And sure enough, it was audible. And I think I might have spied uh, Fever Captain Courtney Bruce noticing it and chatting to a teammate about it too, which made me smile. Given the history between the two clubs and the fact that Dan Ryan's fever is unbeaten, look nearly invincible at this stage of the season, I guess it's understandable why they're considered the baddies to some people. But on further investigation, it appears this intro music banter has been going on for a few years. My spies tell me that the fever have been part of this. They played the ABBA classic Money, Money, Money when Collingwood visited RAC Arena back in the day. And then the Pies might also have been on the receiving end of some Benny Hill themes from their Victorian rival, the Melbourne Vixens, over the years, I'm told. In my humble opinion, this sort of good-natured ribbing is awesome and it's something that builds rivalry, it gets the fans going and I just want to say more of it, please, Super Netball teams. I mean, if I'm one of the Fever players, like you say, with Courtney Bruce there, I'm taking that as a compliment. 100%. Can you imagine, I don't know, the next time they go over there that as Courtney Bruce or Janelle Fowler comes out, the, I know they have the smoke of like the Darth Vader. Or the Daily thing. comes out before. Or... I don't know, just, just embrace it. I'm taking that as a compliment uh, as a Fever player. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I would take it, uh, definitely take it that way. Uh, it's now we need to get on to check into how your shot in the dark went for this round, Aaron. It related to Liz Watson, who we've talked about briefly. Um, And we haven't really dug into her yet this season still. Um, You told us that she only reached 40 circle feeds for the first time against the Pies in round three. But the last season, whenever she had a 40 feed game, it was never a one-off. They were always joined to another one in subsequent weeks. So you tipped Watson to have at least 40, sorry, 40 circle feeds against the Lightning. And she got dot, 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 37 so close. But to be fair, Simone McInnes uh, started her at centre, not wing attack this week, which obviously had an impact. And I think going on her second half form when she was back in wing attack, she would have hit 40 if she was in the centre for the duration, but she wasn't. So it's a fail. Sorry. Simone's rolled me on this one, I think. <laughs> um, 11 feeds in the first half from Hannah Mundy in that wing attack position. You know, might have pushed me across the line. And, you know, being fair, Monday, probably the new Liz Watson once Liz retires, right? Oh, I mean, she's definitely the heir apparent for the Vixens. What about your shot in the dark for round five? So I'm torn here as I've missed out in a couple of weeks. So the temptation is to play it safe. Get a cheapie. But I enjoy the more outrageous predictions. So... I think I actually saw someone asking about whether this year has been one of the highest scoring uh, online, and I'd agree it's definitely felt that way. And looking at the matchups this weekend, apart from the Thunderbirds and Vixens, I don't see many games being defensive battles. Yeah. So what I'm predicting this week is that the total scoring across the weekend's games is going to be one of the highest we've seen in Super Netball. All combined. Say like, yeah, top five all time to be pr- provocative. And so. Ooh, okay. To reach that top five, we need to hit around 510 to 515 goals all up on the scoreboard, which hasn't okay. been achieved yet this season. But rounds three and four are really edging up close to this. So that's where I'm looking at. About 515 goals across the entire scoreboard this weekend to be one of the highest scoring weekends we've seen. Huge. I like this one. Not playing it safe, not going for a, a cheap. Nope. <laughs> 
Well, that's a wrap for our latest episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RealVFeel and send your Fox Answers the Fan questions on social media, again, using that hashtag RealVFeel. All-in-One Property is a dedicated property service provider. What does that mean? It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance, and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. Use all the services or just some. Visit allinoneprop.com to find out more.